Welcome all you PWNAPs. That's Pastor with No Answers players. <laughs> I'm excited about this show. I really am. Our guest is Eric Zimmer, and I'm going to stop doing those awkward pauses because <laughs> I'm sure some people have turned it off or they're like, man, they, they didn't do a good editing job. What in the world is going on? So this is Joey Spence and the Pastor with No Answers, and we want to welcome all of you. I'm excited about this show, and not because of yours truly, the host. I'm never excited about that part of this show. In fact, I wish that I could do this show without me. ha. <laughs> We have a guest named Eric Zimmer. He's a fellow podcast host as well as a fellow sufferer of mental illness. He's had some very significant bouts of depression and other mental illness in his past, and it's something that he has definitely overcome and still struggles. He has a whole podcast on helping people make long-term changes and it's called The One You Feed, and it really is a great podcast. It's so great that I wanted to have him on this show. I really like and respect this guy a lot. I learned from him. Uh, it's also interesting to hear how someone outside of the Christian faith and someone who is more agnostic gets through depression and those sorts of things. Um, I find that we actually have a whole lot in common with how we've walked through uh, those challenges. I enjoyed the conversation. I hope you do too. And you should go check out the One You Feed podcast, especially those of you that struggle with mental illness or you know someone who does. Uh, I want to welcome to the Patreon uh, or the, excuse me, community of patrons for Pastor With No Answers. You can go to pastorwithnoanswers.com and connect with us there, all of our social media, but also a way to support this podcast in addition to how you already support it, and that's listening to it and leaving some ratings and comments on iTunes. These folks have decided to also back it up financially, and you know they, they're doing that because they really enjoy it, and it is a very empowering feeling to have a or, or to be able to consume a product that you enjoy consume it for free and then say yeah i want I, I really actually want to be a part of this at a deeper level because i really like it and i think that it does some good so i want to welcome dean atkinson our newest uh, patron welcome we thank you it's going to be fun interacting with you and without any further ado here's eric zimmer from the one you feed podcast All right, well, this is The Pastor With No Answers, and we are here with Eric Zimmer. And, oh, I don't know, seven, eight months ago, I was on his podcast, which honestly is uh, super, super impressive. And so let's just dive right in, Eric, with uh, what, what do you have going on there with the one you feed? I mean, it seems like you... Ah, Without sounding too cheesy, you've got a heart for people that 
seem to be stuck in an unhealthy mental place. And it seems as if you have a whole podcast <clears throat> to help them out. Do you, do you see it like that, how I described it? I think over time I've grown to see it more that way, yeah. I mean, yeah. I started the podcast to a certain extent to feed my own good wolf, right? It was, uh, uh, yeah. to a certain extent, it was like, okay, you know what? Unless I am directing my thoughts in a certain direction, unless I'm getting yeah. some sort of stimulation of a positive sort on a regular basis, I tend to drift towards the negative. And so gotcha. I guess it's probably only natural that, you know, I've had a lot of people who listen to the show who are big fans who, who have similar issues, similar challenges. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. And gosh, it's just, um, it's it's neat what you've done over there. Uh, I like talking about it like it's an exact location. Your <laughs> podcast is located in podcast land. But just, it's like you're building a, a community of people that, that do want to be proactive and, and changing. And I think, um, you know, mental illness is just such a, a complex thing. And, you know, what I was, what I was curious, um, I watched a video in which you were basically, it was a, it was a Ted talks. Weren't you? Yeah. And so just basically how people, you know, they just get stuck in a, in a certain place and to make long, you know, your, your, your main point, unless I heard you wrong is that, you know, to make long term change takes a lot of work and a lot of intentionality. So, I, I do want to hear more about that in general, but is that coming from like a um, like a belief system that everybody can get out of whatever funk they're in, whether it's you know major depression or even something like schizophrenia or something as simple as a bad day? Like, do you find those to be all escapable? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm not. You know, I'm probably not qualified to to talk about a lot of that. What I do think, though, regardless, is we can all make changes that make our lives better. Yeah. Right. We can all move in a positive direction from wherever we are. Now, how far we can go, um, how much of that stuff can be completely undone? You know, I don't. I, I don't pretend to know the answers to that. I just know that in my own life and in looking at a lot of people around me, that taking positive action, you know, actual behavioral change can right. impact to a great degree, I think, what happens inside of us. You know, what's, yeah. what our mental condition can be, I think, improved by the actions we take in our lives. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's almost like our, a, a lot of times we think the complete opposite. Like if we could change our thoughts and our actions will follow and you're, you're actually saying the reverse. I, I mean, I think it, go, it can go both directions, right? But I yeah, do gotcha. think that you're right, that I think that's where a lot of us start is, well, what, you know, if I can change my thoughts, then I can do this thing. You know, I'll, I'll do that when I'm motivated enough. I'll do that when right. I'm ready. I'll do that when I feel better. I'll do that when, and, you know, so a lot of my, a lot of my history comes from recovery from addiction, and, and I 
recovered in a 12-step program, and a phrase that meant a lot to me then and means just as much now is that sometimes you can't think your way into right action. You have to act your way into right thinking. And that was the truth for me. I mean, I wanted to use drugs all the time. So if I followed my thoughts... That wasn't going to work out. So I just kept taking the next right behavior, go to the next meeting, call my sponsor, you know, hang out with people that I don't want to, clean ashtrays, whatever the things were. I just kept taking the next right action regardless of how I felt all the time. And I noticed that over time then the feelings started coming in line. It's the same thing like I can be in a depressed mood or I can be feeling kind of down. There's no, I don't seem to have any way to think my way out of that sometimes. But a lot of times if I get up and I go for a run or I get outside in nature or I do something different, that behavior changes what's happening in my mind. Now, I'm not saying that's the only direction it goes because I do think you can, we can and should work on the content of our thoughts. What are we thinking? Is what we're thinking true? Is it useful? But, but I think we can get stuck there. And if that way isn't working, a lot of times it's very helpful to just invert it and go after the behavior to start with. Yeah, gotcha. So, I mean, you, like, you're basically coming from a position of experience and personal study and all that, like this isn't necessarily your, your field. You're not a a psychologist or anything, but I mean, you, you're someone who has really been in the trenches of this stuff. And I think you were even telling your story. I mean, you basically had a decision to make, like this is going to kill me or I can go ahead and change. So, I mean, it it, is basically what you express and what you teach and all that stuff a, re- a result of your personal experience and how you climbed your way out of that hole? I think it is to a large degree. I certainly, it's not my field. I've not been trained right. to do this. Now I was, you know, I was in, I've been in recovery for the better part of 20 years. And so, you know, I've sponsored hundreds of people. So there's a lot of experience there. I've, you know, interviewed at this point, 190 people some people on the show so I'm listening to them but no I've never been formally trained in it and I tend to not want to talk about anything that I don't have some experience with myself you know yeah if it if I haven't done it or haven't experienced it it's very difficult like people come to me and be like well how do I get sober and the only thing (laughs) I can say is like I got sober in a 12-step recovery program. I'm not right. saying that's the only way. I'm not even saying that's the way you should. It's just the only way that I know right now, right? That's yeah. what worked for me. And so, you know, I'm very hesitant to say, well, you know what? Yeah, you've got this heroin addiction, but I heard that if you did this, this, and that, it might work. I mean, it just, that feels ingenuous to me and dangerous. Yeah, totally. So t- tell people about the analogy that is basically intertwined with every one of your shows it's it's basically the logo of your podcast Mm -hmm. and uh give people a snapshot of that yeah the show's called the one you feed and it's based on an old parable where there's a grandfather who's talking with his grandson he says in life we all have two wolves inside of us that are always at battle one is a good wolf which represents things like kindness and bravery and love and the other is a bad wolf you know, things like greed and hatred and fear, and the grandson stops and thinks about it for a second, and he asks his grandfather, well, grandfather, which one wins? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. So that's the 
jumping off point. I mean, you were a guest, and so I read that parable, and I said to right. you, what's that parable mean to you? So I just use it as a place to kind of jump off with people to get their take on it. And, you know, people have different uh, ideas about what that parable means. I think on one level, when we all hear it, there's a certain wisdom that just kind of comes right through, like, okay, you know, my thoughts and my actions are going to control the outcome of my life. You know, yeah. what, what am I going to do with that? Yeah, yeah, totally. Now, I, if I, I may have remembered incorrectly, but it seems like last time you and I talked, did you, did you mention that you at one point in your life had religious beliefs and now you do not? Or did, did maybe I heard misheard you? No, I don't think you misheard me. Um, I so I don't know that I ever had strong religious beliefs, and I don't know that I when I did that if I ever had any that weren't tinged with doubt. Um, yeah. But I've always been very interested in. Um, I just guess I'll say a spiritual search what what are we really you know underneath right. all of this and and an idea that what kind of happens on the inside of us is every bit as important as what happens on the outside of us. so i've always had that but i don't have a traditional um religious view i don't know that i align exactly with any one particular religion yeah yeah totally so do you when you think when you think through people's mental condition and people finding purpose in life and, you know, taking a 180 and getting out of drugs and all that stuff from your perspective, if, if there is no, and I, I'm, the last thing I'm trying to do is, is any sort of debate just to yep. let you know that yep. up front. <clears throat> do you have a hard time seeing like the intrinsic value and and mental health here on this earth if there is nothing outside of us like if we literally are a bunch of atoms that you know over over time evolved and and i mean i I would say that i probably lean towards evolution but if we are basically coming from simple cell organisms do you does that you know put your brain at, at like a pausing place of gosh, what, what is, what's the point of all this? Like, what's the point of trying to be okay mentally if once we die, we're gone End the story. Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. definitely think, and I don't pretend to know the answer to any of it. So right, right, I right. am, I am not like what you would call an atheist, right? I think I'm yeah. an agnostic in the truest sense of like, I really have no idea. You yeah. know, it's, there's a lot of stuff that I don't think I understand or can explain. And, um, and I found that a lot of the principles of a religious or spiritual life work, even if I don't know why they work. Yeah. Um, that said, the question of the meaning of life is a tricky one, right? It's, yeah. it, if you, if, as I sometimes do, I don't believe that there is a, guiding purpose exactly behind it or a then yes it can sometimes feel like life has no meaning um but what i found is that what i'm after a lot of the time and i think a lot of people are after is not a meaning of life sometimes as the experience of being alive in life and feeling like we're engaged the example i sometimes give is 
if I walked outside right now, my door, and I saw a dog there that had broken its leg and it was whimpering and it was crying, right? Yeah. I would know that it mattered that I took care of that dog. There's nothing you could tell me that would, t- that would make me go, no, that's not important. You could be like, well, that dog is one of 10 billion dogs that have ever been on the earth, and it's, we're all going to die anyway, and we're infinite and small, and that's, it's all pointless. But in that moment, I would know at some level that I can't explain that it was important that I took care of that dog. And Which so, sounds like a spiritual belief, honestly. It is, but I couldn't put it into words. Right. Yeah. It's an experience. It's an experiential thing. It's not a word thing. I could never tell you why it was important that I took care of that dog, but you could never talk me out of it either. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, seriously, like that, that to me is the crux of any faith and any spirituality. Like, I, I don't tell people yeah, I'm a Christian, and here's my system of beliefs, and let me show you all the documentation and evidence that uh, brought me to this place. Like, m- mine is, yeah, I don't, I don't really know exactly how to describe to you how I feel and how it seems as if a higher being that I call Jesus has revealed himself to me, but I can't put it into words. But I can't deny it. I mean, that's just yep. that's like exactly how you just described it. I think that is, and that's imp- it's important. Like it's important that you take that position because if if you don't, you're basically trying to make fact out of your own experience, which just makes you sound stupid. Because <laughs> someone's like, "Well, great, I'm glad you experienced that. I didn't. Yeah, thank you." <laughs> when I got sober in AA, I mean, AA is a 12-step program is very religiously based. I mean, it comes right out of the Christian faith, right? And there is a, you know, belief in a higher power. There is a belief in in God. And, you know, we say the Lord's Prayer after every meeting, right, in a lot of places. And so when I was getting sober, I had this sense of, like, I have to believe in God. That's what this is. I'm going to die if I don't. And so I try—I mean, I really— tried to do it. I took all the actions and I got sober. And then a crisis happened in my life. My my son was two years old and my wife at the time left me for someone else and I fell apart. And what I realized in that moment was that I did not have a spirituality that really worked for me. Yeah. Right. What I had was I'm trying to believe these facts that somebody else is telling me, but it's not really an experience. And so yeah. um, when I you know, that, that went on and I stayed sober for a while and then I drank again for a couple of years and I came back to recovery and that's been about a decade ago. And when I came back, I was like, I have to find something that works for me. You right. know, I do believe that a, 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 a personal transformation is critical in order to, to give up an addiction and live in any kind of satisfied way. We have to become different. And so, and I believe it's a pretty fundamental change. And so I was like, well, what, what can I do? And what I realized is what I believed in was that there are these spiritual principles, kindness and love and honesty and um, caring for others and, and not clinging so tightly to what I want, that there's these spiritual principles that I know when I do them, my life is better. I am a better person. I'm a happier person. I don't know why. I don't understand what underlies them, but I have that experience. And so I just kept it that simple for myself, which said, 
when I live this way, my life is a lot better, even if I can't put it into words. And I realize, like, I do believe that, you know. Um, I do believe that if I live by certain principles, if I, if I act in a certain way, that I can handle whatever life brings to me. And one yeah. of those spiritual principles is the idea of help from others. So, you know, it is not, it's not like I can do it all. It's a sense of, like, with these principles, with the people around me, with the right support, then I can handle what's th- thrown at me. And that's kind of the spirituality that, that carries me through. Yeah. So, so when you had that experience, that heartbreak of your wife leaving you, so if I'm hearing you correctly, you were like, okay, I don't really have any sort of foundational spiritual way of thinking. So at that point is when you get to a place where you're just like, okay, I need to decide on that. And then you discover, okay, there's a certain good way of doing things and that, that feels intuitively good kind of, I mean, sort of, I mean, that happened over a long period of time. You're like like, sort of outside of you sounding ridiculously (laughs) stupid. Yeah. (laughs) No, no. I, um, what I realized was that the spirituality or the belief system I had built was, um, it was kind of childish. It was this idea that, you know, that if, if I just did things a certain way, if I was good, then there was some being that was going to take care of me and make sure bad things didn't happen. And when bad things happened, I went, well, that shoots that whole theory to hell, right? And right. so I went through a period of having nothing, right, of not really knowing anything. And eventually that led me back to drinking. And when I hit the point where I was like, okay, I can't keep drinking, right? So I got I to gotta come back and I'm going to do it in a 12-step program. I had to go, what? The heart of the twelve step program is turning over control to this to this higher power. I went, well, what on earth does that mean to me? What am I turning this over to? And what I realized was that I was just turning it over to these these what I would call spiritual principles that kind of underlie all religions. You know, if you look across the religions, you're going to find these very common things. You know, love your neighbor. You know, think about others more than you think about yourself. Tell the truth, you know, help right. others. I mean, these things underlie all that. And so what I, what I did was I realized, like, I believe those things are true. I don't know why they're true. Maybe they're true because of this religion or that religion. But they seem to be principles that humans have lived by and, and that when someone is living a good life, you look at that and what are they doing? They're doing those things. And so what I then had the faith was that if I lived my life according to those principles, I would be able to handle what life brought to me and, and help me to stay sober. Totally, totally. Do you think that religion or and or, uh, well, well let's, let's, let's stick with religion. Have you seen throughout your life, very detrimental impacts on people as individuals, just the religion they were brought up in or the religion that they were currently in? Have you run into that? I've seen that, and I've seen the opposite. I've seen people whose religion is a beautiful thing to behold and works for them in a really positive and wonderful way. So, yeah, I've certainly seen both. I don't um, I think it depends on the person. I think it depends on the type of religion. I think it depends on what they're taught. But I've definitely seen both cases of that. Yeah, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. So um, 
nowadays when people are struggling uh, and, and, and feel free to say, yeah, I'm not going to comment on that because mm-hmm. it's just not something I've really looked at. But do you find that people gravitate towards medications too quickly and maybe devalue the impact of counseling? Because I know for me, when I was depressed, um, you know, I, I can I can still get chemically depressed, but for the most part, <clears throat> kind of balanced out with some medication. But before I found some of that balance, I mean, I definitely had an attitude of this is strictly in my brain and this is chemicals misfiring and imbalance and all like all of this stuff can be fixed with medication. Obviously I, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm not thinking <laughs> crazy stuff, you know, and, and really just, foregoing any possibility of counseling helping until like the last two years where I, you know, realized how dumb that was. And I, I sometimes think how common is that for someone to be like, no, it's my brain that's messed up. I'm not talking to someone's not going to help me. I just need to take something. Yeah. I think it's, I come from a world in, in recovery where you know, sometimes people are encouraged not to take antidepressants or not to do something. And so um, I've kind of seen the opposite. But I also, if I look out there at how many antidepressants are prescribed, it's pretty clear that a lot of people are walking into their doctor's office and the doctor's going, try this, and they walk out and that's all they do. And, you know, I also have, you know, medication has been incredibly important to me in stabilizing my depression. And I also think that alone, it's not enough. I mean, my, my perspective is at least the kind of depression I have, I got to kind of throw the kitchen sink at it, right? I mean, like, I've got medication, and I believe in therapy, and I believe in, in spirituality, and I believe in exercise, and I believe in trying to eat right. Like, I think I need all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think that with a lot of things in life, I think people tend to go to one extreme or the other, right, sometimes. So the one extreme is, I'm not going to take this medicine. I'm going I'm to figure this out myself. And then on the other hand, I think is, oh, I'll just take the medicine and everything else is fine. And now I don't need to do anything else. And Gosh, I, think, I think there's a middle ground that's the healthy place to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a really good point. And I think that, you know, I... One of, one of the main issues that, that keeps people from, you know, going to a psychiatrist and having uh, medicine prescribed to them is just the negative perception that people mm-hmm. have towards people that have to take medicine. And I yep. just, that's just where I'm like, gosh, just, I mean, especially, oh my gosh, some old school religious circles <laughs> like, well, Jesus is just going to heal you. Yep. Like, you know, ye of little faith to, to give yourself medicine. And it's just like, Okay, well then, why don't you stop driving a car and just believe that God will uh, make you disappear in one place and appear in another place? That just makes no sense. Like if your brain is not working well, then you you take daggum medicine, you know. But yep. one thing that I thought of though is with a lot of the new and and I am not educated on this at all. But do you know like is are some of the medicines that people are on, including myself, potentially not proven enough long-term wise to not have adverse effects? Like it seems like we are kind of in a generation, you know, outside of probably like Prozac and Zoloft and those sorts of things. A lot of these new medicines, I mean, we're kind of 
playing with dice, right? I think so, yeah, probably so. I mean, yeah. even even Prozac and Zoloft really haven't been around that long. I mean, That's true. I don't think anybody's got 50 years on them, right? I mean, maybe right. something like lithium we've seen for a long time. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there is a risk there. I think that in my case and in the case of a lot of other people I've known, it's sort of like, well, what's the what's the other option here? You know, because this isn't this is not working i mean before i went on medicine i really was like i want to try i want to try the other things right yeah. am, am i taking care of myself am i exercising am i going to am i going to aa meetings am i eating reasonably and when i was doing all that and i realized like i am still miserable like you know i just realized that and there was nothing miserable in my life you know it was like I just realized, like, like you said, there's something in my brain that is not working right. There's something that is not, not happening. Um, and so I, you know, I was willing to, to try medication and, and I think, yeah, I think there's risk there. Um, but I also think there's a lot of risk in not doing it. I mean, yeah, you that's know, a good point. the, you know, the, you know, suicide is, uh, you know, and depression are, are becoming very major contributors. So I think there's, there's more than just our brain chemicals that are going on. I think that our soci- the way we live in society is contributing to this. But I, but I think sometimes it's very difficult after a certain point to tweeze apart, like, is this, is this, a, is this a physical thing? Is, it a, is this yeah. the way I was raised? Is this the, the, the way I live? I mean, that stuff all comes together in a, in a way that is so complex, I think, right. that... Um, you know, if a medicine appears to be, I, I think it's worth trying. Let me put it that way. I think yeah. if you're suffering and you're trying and nothing is getting better, I think that, you know, it's worth taking a shot and seeing what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what you said, as far as it being so complex, I think that's such a good reminder, especially to someone like me too, because I do, I do catch myself saying little quick formulaic statements like, yeah, over, you know, imbalanced chemicals, this or, but honestly, especially given what I learned from counseling is if it's just a matter of, oh, all of a sudden these parts of your brain, brains are just deciding to fire extra this stuff and not enough that stuff, then counseling really wouldn't do any good. But the 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 reality is that a lot of those brain functions are based on the thoughts That's that right. you've that you have and and you and we teach our I mean when I started getting better I actually was able to reflect on the the silliest basic things that would trigger my brain to start dumping the it's it's like pollution in my heart like I can feel it it's That's almost right. like a a heavy burning presence and I mean here here's an here's an example to uh, some of our listeners like there was there was a season of time when my wife and I we we were having a really hard life we had a uh, a best friend that passed away her father passed away uh, we were just going through a really tough time, and then my depression was affecting her tumultuously. I mean, just uh, super heavy on her. And so whenever she would call me during the workday, 
Like I dreaded that conversation because hmm. I knew I wasn't going to be able to give her any glimmer of hope because I, I wasn't at a hopeful place in life. And she's probably calling just to get a snippet of, <laughs> I think we're okay. And I could, and I couldn't yeah. give her that. So those phone calls of just, I mean, my wife, the woman that I love, when I saw her name pop up on my phone, it triggered that feeling of yep. this is just going to be bad because I can't do anything for her and it's just going to make me feel worse. And I had to, so when I got better and there wasn't all of that, uh, you know, all those mixed emotions with a phone call from my wife, I still had to train my brain not to react that way because I welcomed the phone call. I'm like, oh, my wife, I want to hear what she's up to. But my brain was like, no, 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 (laughs) no. You know how you felt all through those years. And so... It, you're right. It is very complex, and uh, I don't think there's any way we can make complete sense out of it all. We just have to, like you said, throw the kitchen sink at it by doing covering all of our bases. I mean, do you ever find yourself, like, like do you have ups and downs still? Yep. Yeah, I do. Absolutely. Um, and they feel very physical to me. They feel very, it's like, I can't find any pattern in it. I can't find a like, oh, okay, well, this happened and now I am kind of feeling down. I sometimes just, I just, it's, I almost feel like it, like I, I we may have talked about this when you were on the show, but I think about yeah. it sometimes like the emotional flu. I'm like, it just feels like, you know, when you get sick, sometimes all you're going to do is ride it out for a few days. You know, it's like, okay, I'm sick. My body's not responding. Um, let me just take care of myself and, and hope this gets better. So I definitely have ups and downs, but they're not dramatic. And I yeah. also do think in the same way that using the flu as a metaphor works, I think once I have the, you know, once you have the flu, right, you just kind of, you're in it. Um, but, and I think you're the one who said this, which was, you know, there's lots of things we can do, though, to try and prevent the flu. doesn't mean right. we're always going to prevent it, but I'm much less likely to get the flu if I'm getting all my vitamins and I wash my hands three times a day. You right. know, I might still get it, and once I get it, well, there it is. I just got to yeah. take care of myself. Um, but I have ups and downs, and I think your example you gave of you know talking to your wife is so true. It's that the... F- we try and separate it into it's the thoughts I'm having or the feelings I'm having or the chemicals that are happening. They're not separate. They're the same. I mean, you can see this very clearly by, you know, if you get scared, which is a thought process, right? Adrenaline is going to flood your system. Your thoughts just caused that very clear physical reaction. And so these things aren't, they're not different things. They're all tied together. Now, making sense of which one influences which and how and all that is way beyond me. But I think that being okay with the fact that they're combined is helpful. I mean, we had a guest on the show who wrote a book called Suggestible You, and it was about the placebo effect. Right. And what blew my mind about this was that, like, it's not just that people are having the placebo effect think that maybe they're not in pain. Like, the chemicals that for pain aren't there. It's not imaginary. I mean, it's imaginary in the sense that they thought it, but the physical reaction that happened is very real. And so it's like, we tend to think like it's all in your head. It's, it starts in your head, but it then affects 
very much chemically, physically what is happening. And so that's why I just think it's so hard to tweeze those things apart. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So what, I know you've mentioned some stuff along the course of this conversation, but what are some things that if you start to feel that sense that you and I are both familiar with, it probably feels differently for both of us, but when you start to sense that downward spiral, do you have like some immediate responses? (laughs) Like, do you go out for a jog? Do you try to lay down and think more positive thoughts or what do you do? I think exercise is the biggest one for me. I mean, it, it seems to be very, um, it seems to have a very profound effect on me. You know, that it, it seems to do more as sort of an intervention than most other things that I can do. So that's usually where I start. Um, you know, I've got a list of like eight to ten things that each day I go through and I, you know, I check off which of them I did. Now, I'm not going to do all of them every day, but what I've found is if I'm doing a decent number of them over time, then then my incidences of depression are less frequent and they're far less intense. And, you know, those things are obviously taking medicine is the one that's like every day. But, you know, for me, it's exercise, it's meditation, it's going out into nature, it's Am I connecting with the people around me? Did I have some sort of interaction with, with my friends, with my family? Did, you know, have I, have I taken a, a chance lately to look at, at gratitude in my life? Have I played yeah. guitar? I mean, it's stuff like that. Those things I know are all kind of good for me. Again, I don't do all of them every day, and depending on where I'm at, but I just try and the reason I have a list of you know, a good number of them is that I figure whatever place I'm at in my life, whatever is happening, I can work some of those in. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of the way I go about it. But exercise is the one for me that I have most been able to see. Like, if I don't do that, if I don't exercise, it's not very long before I just start feeling like crap emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wish it wasn't that way. I really do. Right. But it just is. And how, how about uh, what you put in your body? Like, are there things that maybe you've learned from some of your guests or just things you've put into practice, such as red meat or sugar, like avoiding those sorts of things? Well, I, um, I think sugar is is a is a troublesome one and i think i've experienced that sugar for me is another kind of like alcohol it's there's a little all or nothing effect to it for me it's like when i'm like sort of eating sugar i just if sugar comes across my path i'm going to eat it <laughs> you know it's just going to happen i'm going to walk right. by the candy bowl that's got the m&ms and i'm going to take a handful right and if i'm out to dinner i'm going to get the dessert and but on the other hand if i kind of turn that off then I'm able to walk by the candy bowl without a whole lot of trouble. So sugar's one. Um, I'm vegetarian. I don't know. I can't say whether that has done a lot for my, you know, mental health. I don't really know. I just yeah. try and generally eat, um, unpro- you know, I try and eat, you know, the way pretty much everybody can agree you should eat. Depend- you, know, you can be paleo, you can be vegetarian, you can be all these different things. But most, all these people seem to agree, like, Eat, you know, unprocessed real food. Yeah, you know, and um, but I don't, I don't know that I can tie that exactly to my mental health. But I certainly know if I eat like crap for a few days, I feel like crap. I mean, I think right. that I sometimes jokingly call it the bad news about feeling good. And the bad news about feeling good in my in, in my experience is that you have to take care of your body. That's right. part of what it is. And I, again, I wish there was an easier way. 
Right. Oh yeah. But but yeah. in my case there's not. You know, if if I eat a ton of sugar for a few days and eat, you know, just you know, Cheerios and and you know nothing but the, I'm going to start to feel like crap. And so um yeah, it's but I'm also not like it has to be exactly this way. Like if I just eat chia seeds, then everything is fine. I'm just a little bit more broad than that. Like I just try and eat decent. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, let me let you go here in a second, but tell us, a li- uh, uh, this one caught my eye and I haven't been able to listen to it yet. What did you learn from uh, Florence Williams as far as nature and how that can impact people? Because basically in, in the notes, it just says how uh, spending time in nature and connecting there can actually help someone with depression. Is that a, a universal thing or probably just for certain types of people? Well, the, there's a variety, you know, she references a lot of different studies from a lot of different yeah. cultures that seem to show that being in nature helps, um, you know, depression, it helps reduce blood pressure, it, it, you know, it does a lot of different things. Now, the book is interesting because it explores like nobody's entirely sure exactly why or right. what the what the effect is. And again, I can't, you know, I don't know that does it work for everybody, but in randomized studies of enough number of people, there's enough scientific data that seems to say, as a whole, people respond well to it. I mean, it's one of those things that I know for myself is absolutely true. Um, I didn't used to think that way at all about myself. I never really thought of myself as that way. But but sometime along the way, I kind of realized like, oh, if I'm, you know, if I get out in the woods for a little bit, like, I just feel really different. And so, um, you know, the book kind of makes that point. It's an interesting book in, you know, lots of different studies. Japan and China are really focused on this stuff. Like, they're investing lots of money in, they call it forest bathing, which is one of the worst phrases (laughs) I've ever heard. But they're, they're spending significant money to make time in the forest more accessible to their people because they feel like it reduces healthcare costs. I mean, they're doing it Gosh. very, very pro, you know, very pragmatically. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's one of those that it's certainly worth, worth trying. And if you notice like, yeah, I do feel better when I'm out outdoors, then that's a sign for you that it probably, probably works and helps. Yeah, for sure. Well, for those of you that, you know, may struggle with, Uh, you know, just changing habits or thinking more positively, or maybe you have mental illness, know somebody that does or struggles. I mean, what Eric is doing in the podcast world is he literally is throwing the kitchen sink (laughs) at, at all of this, because seriously, he is tapping into different people that are tackling this from different angles and all of it's important. And I think, uh, you know, for someone who really wants to be proactive in maybe figuring out some possible solutions and, and getting help honestly. And, and, you know, I'm not just saying this, your podcast is probably a good place to start if people are really willing to dig in and, um, you know, listen to the episodes and hear all these different perspectives. So I really do appreciate your work, man. And, uh, honestly, that was one of my biggest motivations to have you on, uh, my podcast is just to get word out, man. Cause I, uh, I like what you do and 
uh, yeah, I, I know that means nothing coming from a, a dummy like me, but <laughs> hey, whatever, whatever it's worth, man, we appreciate it. No, I, I appreciate it. I loved having you on the show and I'm glad we got to continue our discussion. So thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, definitely. And where can uh, people go? Basically the, the one you feed.net, I yep. think, or without the, 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 just yep. one you feed.net. Yep. All spelled out. O-N-E-Y-O-U-F-E-E-D.net. Yep. It's all right there. Yeah.